Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Leader Manager Coach podcast. Right, today I'm really pleased that I've got somebody with me who um, I've got to know quite well in the last few weeks, not um, not, not for a long time, but somebody that um, I'm fortunate to be able to work with. And this gentleman, um, he's an ex-professional footballer, he's now an international coach and um, he's, uh, he's working in, uh, in Asia. So I'd like to introduce you to a gentleman called Stuart Walker. So hi, Stuart. Nice to meet you, Rob. Nice to see you. Great stuff, mate. Now, Stuart's kindly agreed to uh, come and have a chat with us. And um, he's obviously a coach of renown. He's um, coaching out in Bangladesh and um, he'll tell you a little bit more about that. But he's got a real, a real couple of angles to his story that um, are, are really worth sharing. So I'm really pleased to, uh, to get Stuart on. So for anybody who doesn't know Stuart, what I'm gonna ask him to do is just, uh, um, just to introduce himself and just tell us a little bit about how he got into the game in, in the first place. And um, then you can kind of have a little bit of background about, um, about what Stuart's about. So just tell us a little bit how, how you kind of early life was, Stuart, how you got into the game. Uh, like a lot of young footballers, I was, uh, uh, schoolboy forms at Wolves, my local club yeah. from Wolverhampton. Signed uh, apprentice forms. Um, apprentice went uh, went quite well. Uh, made my debut for Wolves while I was still apprentice. So I was seventeen uh, in what was then the top division yeah. at the time. Yeah. Earning twenty five pounds a week when I made my debut. Uh, yeah. Made to clean the opposition changing room out straight yeah. after my debut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I played against Sunderland. Uh, we drew 0-0 at Molyneux. Uh, I went to walk off into the players' lounge to see my mum and dad. Youth coach got hold of me, thrust a, a brush in my hand, what a great and one. said, uh, "No, you don't go until you've until you've done Brilliant, your jobs." Mate. Brilliant. Uh, so that was that. That brought me crashing back down to earth. Yeah. Uh, signed a pro at the end of that season. That was the mark. Signed a pro at the end of that season. Yeah. Uh, and looking back, uh, maybe like a few youngsters. Uh, thought I'd arrived, thought I'd made it. Right. Uh, I lost my way a little bit, and within 12 months of making my debut uh, at Molyneux for Wolves, I was released. Uh, had a little spell at uh, Warsaw, wasn't took on. Uh, went to Crew under Dario, that was the David Platt era, Jeff Thomas, John Pemberton, good team. Uh, offered a non contract. Contract, if you like, a non-contract. Just, just go back to when you, just go back in your mind to when you, you were. So there you are, your hometown club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Obviously, young debut and done, done well, and, and started off and felt good about your things that were going on. And then you get released within a yeah. short period of time. Just try and help because there's going to be people listening to this who, who are coaches who deal with young people, and there's people also who are, who are young players. And, and so, just try and, if you can, Stuart, just, just tell us how difficult that was at that point, or, or how you dealt with it, or why you didn't deal with it, or what it was like. Well, 
you deal with it because you have to, whether I dealt with it correctly, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I look back, it, 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 I, I, you know, I lost my way a little bit, you know, I didn't apply myself uh, the way that I should have. And obviously, because of my coaching career and working with a lot of youngsters, you know, I know now where uh, I should have knuckled down even more yeah. and trained even harder, yeah. you know, all the, what you tell young players to do, but I didn't, ultimately I didn't do it, you know, and uh, as I say, I had a trial at Warsaw, they didn't take me on, uh, offered a, a non-contract at Crew. Yeah. but in all honesty, I broke my heart really leaving Wolves and I, uh, I, I didn't take the contract or the non-contract at Crew. I, uh, I went to work for my dad uh, and never kicked a ball for two years. So that tells you that I kind of lost my love for the game. Uh, and it's, it's tough when you're working for a living, inverted commas, proper working for a living, and people that you've played with and played against at youth level uh, are, are, are doing well in yeah. the, you know, and making the way. And not that you begrudge on that, but you kind of begrudge that you're not there doing yeah, yeah. it as, as, yeah. as well. And uh, so I had, uh, as I say, literally two years of not kicking the ball at all, uh, working for my dad, and it was only uh, a few mates who got me to, to start playing right. again on a, on a Sunday morning in the Wolverhampton Sunday League and something like Division 5 or yeah. Division 6, yeah. you know. And, uh, but that got my enjoyment back, right. you know. It was, yeah. for the first time in a long, long time, it was going and playing carefree and right. just purely for enjoyment yeah, really. so that got my my love back for yeah, the game yeah. and because i'd had a bit of a a background and people had kind of knew me in wolverhampton and, and going on to, onto wolves word got about that i was i was playing again and uh doing okay and i soon had uh, a few uh, you know, decent semi-pro clubs coming and, and asking me to to sign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the time that I started playing again, it, it kind of coincided that I went to work at the head office for the post office. Yeah. So I left my dad's local post office, went to work at the head office. And because I had to work every other Saturday morning, I really couldn't play at a, a standard where you had to travel all over the country. Right. So conference and uh, conference uh, north or south was really not possible for me to do. So I, I stayed pretty local and play. I started eventually playing for a team called Rushall Olympic yeah. in the West Midlands yeah. Premier League. Yeah. So here you are. You've you've had a you know a, a, what you call a, a successful youth career, and you've got yourself uh, into the first team, and then you've had this 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 you've looked at it very humbly and put it in very humble words and you've had this fall where you've come out of the game because you know you didn't you said well I could have done this better I could have done that better and, and you've gone through the thought processes of seeing people who you knew and they're doing okay and then you've you know you've you haven't you haven't you, you've basically gone and, and done what what sometimes 
people who get into the game as players and don't ever get to until the 35, 40 is, is, is that a, what you call it? If we can use the term a normal job where it's, you, yeah. know, you get up in the morning at six o'clock and you go and do eight to nine hours and all the rest of it. And then you've got this love back for the game, which how many people talk to don't get that. So you've got that back. And a lovely statement you said there, and I, and I hope this does relate to people, is that you started playing freely. Yeah, and absolutely. it wasn't like somebody's telling you where to go and the pressure of probably being a young apprentice, yeah, which is a big thing, yeah. I think that's a massive thing we can learn, yeah. Absolutely, you know, it, it, apprentice is, is uh, it's a tough gig. I mean, it was a great two years. It was a brilliant, brilliant two years that, yeah, yeah. you know, you made friends for life, you were, you spent hours at the club, uh, but it's a tough gig. Your, your first year seems to fly by, literally yeah. Yeah. fly by. And then obviously you're very conscious in your second year of, are you going to be offered a pro contract? So it's almost every game. And I think actually I had a, an old fashioned uh, youth coach Frank Upton God bless him great great fella yeah. who installed many good good habits uh, and he doesn't uh, tell us that penny that shiny penny story mate oh I mean Frank you know those were the days that apprentices we had to we had to work and we had to clean uh, Molyneux and certainly on a Friday afternoon if it was uh, match day on the Saturday it was literally like being in the army and Frank would, he had three shiny pennies. He kept all and they were literally pristine, these <laughs> pennies, they were absolutely. And uh, he would hide them in the most obscure places in and around Molyneux. Uh, <laughs> he, absolutely. And he said, if you clean properly, it's not a problem, you will find them. So, but you're not going home until the jobs it's are done fun. properly, until the jobs are done properly, uh, and you found the three shiny pennies. So it installs good habits. It literally was like an army inspection on, on a Friday afternoon that he would literally go along the, the, the highest rims or yeah. just below the ceiling, everything. He'd look behind everything and everything had to be pristine, which was tough because by then, you know, Molyneux was getting on for 100 years old and everything. It was still the old stadium. Yeah. Uh, so Friday afternoons, it was always two or three hours cleaning Molyneux to get it, you know, ready for match day. But again, maybe not at the time, but certainly when I look back, it installed so many, many yeah, good absolutely. habits. And I think, yeah. I've just not long ago wrote something and it'll be on the website about how whether the modern day evolution towards care, if you can use that word of young people in terms of, you know, not too much stress and, and making sure the environment's right, actually, have we gone to, the question is, have we gone too far and do we do them a disservice so that if they don't, when, or if they don't get to where they want to do, are they have they got the skills that that kind of thing builds in people to go out and be successful? Yeah. I think we're doing them a disservice. And, you know, they go on about the snowflake generation now. But we're responsible for creating a snowflake generation. Mm. And uh, I don't think we've been tough enough with the younger generation. I think what I went through in as apprentice, I mean, apprentices now, you know, uh, don't do any jobs really. Uh, you know, it's it's all education and football, which is fine. I don't disagree with that. Obviously, education and the football, but 
I think they should do jobs and don't get me wrong I don't think they should have the hands down toilet cleaning toilets or anything uh, like that but for me they should yeah. be cleaning dressing rooms and they should be yeah. picking kit up and sorting kit out and cleaning boots uh, and, and stuff like that I think you know it, it, uh, it is part of the trade I'm very aware about the education part of the programme and as I say, education vital. That's, but I think football now and the younger ones are getting to the point that they're coming into the club and they're being prepared for the outside world where they should be prepared for being footballers. They need an education to fall back on. Yes, but first of all, if they're coming into Wolverhampton Wanderers or whatever club, you know, they're being prepared to be a footballer first and foremost. Uh, and let's give them the very, very best opportunity of being a footballer. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, if you go and work in a bank, they're not putting all these other things on for you, yeah, just in case banking's not your... Yeah not your profession at the end of it so I think a lot of it is done for, for good reasons but is it done the way that I think it should be done no and would I make changes yes definitely interesting mate interesting yeah yeah absolutely so here you are mate you've, you've gone out you've started playing again started enjoying it you've been seen by some semi-pro clubs and, and you know you, you're starting to make a little bit of impression people are noticing you and um, so what kind of what, where did your journey take you then I'm playing at Rushall and, and I'm enjoying it and uh, I'm doing okay and again you know I've had offers to play higher but uh, you know I can't uh, because of my job um, and as I say I had probably three four years at Rushall might, might even be a little bit more than that and it was again playing purely for enjoyment no pressure met some great people there the social side was very good uh, perhaps a little bit too uh, too good uh, but again you know I go back I'm seeing players that I've I, I know uh, that I've uh, I've played with and against and deep down I'm thinking that you know I'm, I'm, I should be where they are or you know uh, and it's funny I'm playing one day <laughs> and I look back now and it's just a total uh, you know, non-league football, very physical. I square up to a member of the opposition, and he calls me fatty. And yeah. Unbelievable! I'm not fat. I can't. I've always been quite skinny. Uh, yeah. And he's and he's uh, he's told me to f off, fatty. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I've gone on and uh, to, to the to the now ex-wife and said, "Have I put any weight on?" And she went, "Well." Baby, you've uh, you have put a bit yeah. on, haven't you? Yeah. And uh, I've gone to work the next day at the post office, and it was all people roughly my age. Again, a great crowd to work with. Went and asked a few people, and they'd they'd, they'd all told me that I had. And again, when I look back at what I was eating at the time, it's not a surprise. And to be fair, what I was drinking as well, even though I was playing semi-pro, and uh, it just absolutely kind of rocked my world yeah. really and so I, I just decided that was it and I was I was going to get fit I was going to lose the weight I hadn't weighed myself for and I mean years I literally not jumped on a scale for years and years and years uh, and I think I was up I mean I'm six foot three but I was up at about 15 and a half stone but still playing football regular and yes playing centre-half, sometimes even playing centre-midfield, even if I wasn't exactly box-to-box. Um, 
anyway, I just cut all, cut beer out, uh, cut all my, uh, the rubbish out, if you like, at four meals a day. Not, you know, totally perfect meals, yeah, yeah. but a balanced diet, you yeah, would yeah. say. Just had a decent balanced diet. Uh, I got fit, started going running. I got fit. Uh, and by the time the next pre-season had come, I'd literally lost a couple of stone, and I, I was I was flying that pre-season in in, in the pre-season, uh, enjoying it as well. Felt miles miles better. Uh, and the one day we played Warsaw pre-season friendly, Russia as they as they did every year. Played Warsaw, uh, did okay, and uh, that was a Tuesday night. And a Thursday night, got a phone call from the general manager at Warsaw, uh, asking if I could play on the Saturday in a, a pre-season friendly at Telford, right. and, and and that was it. That that was back in the game, yeah. And uh, touch wood, it it went well at Telford. And uh, funny enough, I mean, Kenny Ibbett was manager at uh, Warsaw, and. Uh, Kenny was at Wolves uh, I think played in the team when I made my debut against Sunderland right. but I hadn't seen Kenny for right. you know a few years yeah. since and uh, before the game just said hello to him and ex exchanged pleasantries if you like anyway so uh, but anyway I played the game at Telford and I've done okay and I'm kind of thinking he's got to come and say something to me now he's got to come and say something to me I've done alright he's got yeah. and I'm, I'm getting changed pretty slowly really expecting or waiting for the manager to to come and, and say something anyway he doesn't so I'm changed I've gone as slow as I can and uh, I just go up to to Kenny and I say thanks very much for the game and, and to be fair he just uh, he went uh, real cloak and dagger stuff don't say anything to the press outside. Get yourself back to Bescott Stadium. I'll see you in 40 minutes. That's what I did. Uh, went into his office at Bescott, was offered a two-year contract there and then. Uh, went to work on the Monday. Luckily, the post office let me leave straight away. Yeah. And uh, we played Aston Villa on the Tuesday. And I think the season started on the Saturday after that. So that's how quickly, you know, from being out of the game for years, uh, that's how quickly I got back into it. I was 26 at this stage. Uh, and really looking back, it just come from one opponent, one opponent who called me fatty. So you've got so so you've got the the lessons in this are just phenomenal. So it, it, how quickly life can change you in any in any in any part of life. So that's 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 the number one thing that stands yeah. out for me. How quickly life can change you. Yeah. Number two, you you know you 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 actually gave four or five years of your life to, to just enjoying football as a part, and, yeah. and within that you had six years out of the game and you know and, and this isn't about me making you anything that yeah. you're not or saying it but you know that's a great lesson that actually things are possible and, and, and you know so you had this this massive time out of the game and then you know you you, you went back and, and, and got this back on track so you know it, it, it's it, it's a great story so just just to kind of take you um, a little bit further on because um, obviously I do want to talk about your coaching and stuff like that you, you played from then from after that six year period for Walsall and yeah I had about uh, 1900 games for Walsall yeah, uh, you know absolutely loved it and I mean loved yeah, yeah. loved loved it because it's it's the second 
it's your second chance that you know yeah. maybe you, you thought, think that made a difference to you oh yeah you because you this time around you appreciate it so yeah, when you've spent years behind a post office counter yeah, yeah. and now all of a sudden you're playing football for a job it's it's brilliant so yeah two and a half three two and a half years Warsaw 1900 games uh, a little spell at Eriford under Graham Turner and, and Dick Bate brilliant uh, Went to, went to Mansfield again, uh, two, two and a half years at Mansfield again, 1900 games, whatever. Great well, clubs, yeah, Hereford and Walsall and Mansfield. You great, know, yeah, top, great, top yeah, there, great. For that, like, great, you know. great, great clubs, yeah. great people, yeah, yeah, yeah. good mate, good, good friends. Yeah. Uh, and then, but almost as quickly, if you like, I got back into it. Uh, I mean, I, Going back to Warsaw, towards the end, I kind of fell out with Chris Nickel. You know, I look back now and perhaps we were too alike, yeah. you know, and sometimes maybe clash. Well, we did clash. Uh, and I uh, I was desperate to get away at the end. And, and, and to be fair, Chris wanted me gone. And I had the chance to go. And at the time, you could go to another club and play two, uh, two friendlies or two reserve games yeah. I should say uh, even though I was signed with Warsaw and uh, about two weeks earlier I twisted my ankle I think in a reserve game pretty pretty badly but anyway Chris uh, the manager comes up to me and said he spoke to Preston uh, would I go up or did I want to go up and play for the reserves and uh, for them to have a look at me so I agreed and uh, went and played a game for him. ironically or incidentally I should say uh, Beckham played right. as a youngster yeah. on loan from Man U uh, and even though David Moyes was still playing for Preston, Preston he took the reserves so again you look back now that's that's an experience anyway I did, it didn't work out even though I thought I was going to Preston that didn't work out so that was a disappointment on to Hereford on to Mansfield and uh, I got injured at Mansfield and uh, I was struggling, really, really struggling. And went to see a specialist, and uh, he said, "Do you know in the past that you've broke your ankle?" And I said, "No." Uh, I know what he was on about because from from that day, literally for two two years, I was popping painkillers daily to get through training and to get through games. So he said, uh, yeah, you've broke your ankle, your bone's calcified, uh, basically, that's it. Yeah. You're not coming back from, you're not coming back from this. So as quickly as I got back into it, my career finished. Uh, that was the day after Beckham famously got sent off against Argentina. Right. You don't forget that. Yeah, yeah that was, so the day after, that was yeah. the first day of pre-season at Mansfield. That was when I was told my, my career was over, right. but I kind of knew it was. I, I knew it was it's coming because, I, yeah, I think you know when you've got an, such an injury. Uh, so I went back from the specialist, saw the manager, Steve Parkin. Uh, Tony Ford as well was there as his assistant. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they knew what the specialist was going to say. Uh, and I was very fortunate that I, there and then, uh, they offered me the uh, the youth team job at Mansfield. 
So, yeah, although you had a tragedy in that respect or a disappointment, a big one. So yeah, it was. I, well. It was literally one one door shut in your face, and, you and another again. one yeah. opened straight away. So, you know, I was I was really grateful. Uh, it was something. Yeah, I'd thought about coaching, but I hadn't I hadn't done any of my qualifications or anything like that. Uh, and obviously, things in those days were not as rigid as yeah. as, as as they are now with the E Triple P. So, uh, yeah, literally that the day after that was my first day as a youth coach and uh, I remember Parky and uh, Fordy saying to me that's it the apprentices that's it they're, they're down to you now you sort everything out about others so it wasn't only the training it was the lodgings it was their education it was yeah, you know all that came with being uh, an apprentice so it was in a way thrown in at the deep end but again I look back great learning experience great times and arguably now the first lot of players that I had I look back and probably had the best lot of players right. that I had I yeah. didn't realise at the time uh, how, how good a group I had to work with how good a player how good a group I should say in terms of attitude uh, and commitment and how good a group in terms of ability that I had, uh, because a lot of those players have gone on to have pretty, pretty decent careers. Career. Yeah, pretty decent. Yeah. So there you are. So you've come onto this stage of your life where you've had this opportunity. You've gone into this youth coaching. You've dived into it, and you, you know you've got a good group of players and, and stuff. So what? Um, you know, if you don't, I want to talk. I want. I want you to talk about the, the thing. You, another thing. Another challenge. Because this. This. You know, uh, part of this podcast is helping people to understand that. You know, I think we, it's easy to look at football. It's easy to look at any industry where people are desperate to get into it in whatever level. Sometimes and think, oh, it's all right for them. It's all right for them. It's all right for them. You know, and everything happens. And it's, it's great when you you're in there and it's all perfect. And, and you know, we had a we had a conversation yesterday about something that was personal to you, which you unbelievably shared with me which is you know very humbling and you agreed to you know share it today all parts of it anyway and um so you know w where did your coaching take you from there Stu and then how, how, how did you get on to your, to your neck this yeah well I mean and briefly um I did the the youth team for for three years at Mansfield and did okay there we we got players through to the first team I think yeah three years with the youth team I think something like 22 oh, players really? yeah. went through uh, to to play in the first team at Mansfield. Uh, went on, as I say, to have to have good careers, do well. I kind of moved up with them at Mansfield. Went to uh, assistant manager to start with, yeah. uh, with Billy Dearden, great man manager Billy. Uh, then Billy left, went to County. I got the manager's job. Uh, we got a promotion that year. Yeah. Billy left halfway through the season in December. I stepped up to manager in the December. We got a promotion uh, from League Two to League One. Uh, did really well. The youngsters did well. League, league One was tough. Uh, had a horrendous injury crisis. And seven months after promotion, I was sacked yeah. at Mansfield, which that really 
wow, that was that was tough because Mansfield had been my life really. The football club had been my life, and had wrongly been my life, and we'll we'll get onto that later. Uh, for six or seven years, certainly when I started coaching, I I look back and I threw myself into the coaching too much. And this may sound a little bit strange, certainly to up and coming coaches, or coaches are looking to make the way in football. But I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll talk about something else later, but I miss my children growing up, right. which I regret massively. Uh, gave too much time to football, as I say, I got, got the sack at Mansfield uh, I found it that tough to cope with you know people say oh you're distraught at leaving this or I was distraught at leaving Mansfield uh, I, had, I had a spell of uh, not working you know you're always hopeful on the back of what you've done somewhere in terms of the youngsters coming through uh, and uh, a promotion as well, you know, straight away in your managing career, uh, that there'd be an opportunity opening up, uh, and that didn't that didn't come for. I think in, it might have been about a year. Right. I that I didn't I didn't work, and that was really tough because your your self esteem, your self worth, your self respect, uh, self belief, yeah, takes a massive hit. Uh, went to Barnsley as academy manager. Paul Hart was manager. He was manager at Forest. He'd seen all the youngsters coming through at Mansfield. Uh, so he took me to uh, Barnsley to be academy manager. Uh, I only stayed there three months. By now I'm going through a divorce. Uh, uh, separated, going through a divorce. Uh, I got offered the Kiddie Minster Harriers manager's job who were bottom of the football league at the time right, yeah. but it enabled me to get back to Wolverhampton close to the kids uh, especially my youngest one at the time who was finding the split difficult but uh, again we'll talk about another thing I think my eldest one found it the hardest in the end right. uh, even though he didn't show it at the time uh, Spell at Kidderminster, a year at Kidderminster. We got relegated from the Football League. As I say, I went in when they were eight, nine points adrift at the bottom of the league in, in uh, I think that was December as well. Right. Um, yeah, it was December. So that was a tough gig, Kidderminster. Yeah, yeah. Really, really tough gig because even though it was a, a league football club, it didn't have the underbelly right. of a league club. Yeah. No apprentices. Uh, no training ground yeah. training at the local park yeah. you know literally going moving the dog poo off the park before the players got there it was a yeah. tough gig uh, got relegated had to cope with a, a a takeover at boardroom level that was tough to deal with and so I had another half a season in the conference with Kidderminster then they sacked me there uh, if I'm being honest I wasn't too upset yeah, yeah. at that because it was time to, to get away from that place right. um, you know I've never spoke about what went on behind the scenes at, at Kidderminster uh, but I think if I did people genuinely wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't believe it yeah. wouldn't believe it uh, 
Um, and then straight up, not long after I left Kidderminster, I went to Grimsby as assistant manager. Three years there, worked with Alan Buckley for yeah, yeah. 18 months, you know, a thousand games yeah. as a manager. Terrific, terrific yeah. experience. Uh, three years there, left there, went to Hull as a reserve team coach, stroke yeah. under 23 yeah. manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, talented. Phil Brown took me. Wow. Uh, loved working with Brownie. Brian Orton was there. Another member of the thousand game the managers. Player, yeah. yeah, so Steve Parkin, who was my manager, yeah. who gave me my first job at Mansfield. He was part of the coaching staff as well. So three years at Hull. And again, loved it. You know, worked with good, good people. Ian Derry came for a bit. Steve Wigley, Nick Barnby, Nigel Pearson, Craig Shakespeare, Steve Wall, Seamus McDonald. You know, yeah, great, yeah. great people. Yeah. And you can't help but learn, yeah. learn off them. Um, three years there. Unfortunately, when Steve Bruce came, he brought all his own people in. But to be fair, to Hull, they handled the situation correctly, so no complaints. Um, Went back to Grimsby for uh, seven or eight months in charge of the youth setup. Yeah. Uh, enjoyed that and then had the opportunity to go and uh, be head coach of a, a, a brand new team in India. Right. Uh, and literally when I got out to India, there was nothing that, there was, there was about three people who worked behind the scene. That was it, no players. No training ground, no equipment. Did you know that before you went? They didn't say that? No, no, no. I knew it was a brand new club. Right. Yeah, I knew it was a brand new club. I had best part of a year there. Absolutely loved India. Yeah. Loved India. Terrific experience. Um, completely, obviously, different culture. My first taste of Asia, if you like. Uh after one year, long story again, the club folded after literally after right. one year. To be fair to the owners of the club, they, they honoured the contracts, yeah. came back uh, and went to, I had uh, a spell as head coach in Malta, right. which was a lovely place to live. Yeah. Football, uh, I enjoyed. Um, that was good and I actually left Malta because I was offered a, a head coach in uh, the UAE, a second right. level team. And my first game, I actually signed a contract with this football club, I won't name them, but my first game should have been against Maradona's team at the time. Right. And uh, I left Malta, signed, I'd signed a contract in Malta for this yes. UAE yeah. team. Yeah. I was coming back to the UK, or I did come back to the UK, supposedly for 10 days before I flew out to the UAE. And uh, I never heard of the UAE club after I'd signed a contract. So, but the Maltese club had signed a new coach. Uh, and found myself, tried to take the club to court through the LMA, had no success. Um, and I, I, so I, I got let down there, I, I wasn't working. Uh, that's when I got the call off uh, Jamie Day. To, to come and be his assistant out in really? Bangladesh. So we're about 18 months in now. Yeah, really. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, again, uh, being involved in you know a World Cup campaign yeah, yeah. is brilliant. Being involved in tournaments in you know other Asian countries has been 
terrific, terrific learning experience. Uh, but what I'd say, I mean, we'll talk about it now, I'm sure, the experience that I went through, family always will come first. Uh, already, already, changed my... Yeah. Now, you know, even though obviously you want to be as successful as you can in football, my psyche, if you like, has changed massively now. Uh, and uh, I, I, I drop everything to do with football at a drop of a hat. Yeah. Uh, if I had to, to to make sure that my family yeah. was okay. Yeah, yeah, no, you, yeah. you haven't mentioned that, and obviously. And I, lo I lost when I, when I started coaching. I threw myself into the coaching so much, literally gave all my time to it, and didn't give uh, enough time to my kids, to my ex-wife. That's why she's my ex-wife. Uh, uh, but it's only when you're, as I say, maybe a little bit older, a little bit wiser, you look back and you just think, I've got the life balance completely wrong. Yeah. Completely wrong. Football's easy to get that actually, isn't it? It's one of those industries, like show business, really, that, that actually has got that ability to to do that to, to even the most stable Get you, get you, get you. You know, and I was desperate to be successful you know whatever that is yeah then you know if, if if I'm being honest I still I still feel unfulfilled certainly as uh, if you like a head coach drunk yeah. manager yeah, yeah. yeah I feel fulfilled and I've done okay at producing young players and players to go on to uh, to have great careers yeah, yeah. I feel fulfilled at that but I've had some tough gigs as a manager stroke head coach. I'm not saying I've not made mistakes, but I've had things, and I know we won't talk about them now, that have happened that you're certainly not taught on coaching courses yeah, how to yeah, deal yeah. with, uh, you know, boardroom takeovers and uh, crippling injury crisis and, you know, cash problems at the club that, that, that yeah, you're at. Yeah. Uh, and I feel unfulfilled at uh, in terms of being a manager. Right. Uh, I feel that I've kind of got the tools to be a decent manager and to be a success of it. But if you was to look at my record, you wouldn't say I've been too successful. I could throw back at you. There's been circumstances that have dictated how difficult it's been, but. I have still got that desire to be a manager, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be a manager in England, not sure I'll ever get the chance now, uh, to try and be as successful as what I believe I have yeah, ability yeah, to be, yeah, but yeah, well, whether that happens, I don't know. Well, I, I think uh, none of us know that, studio. We can only we can only do what we can do, and um, you know, as, as we've already talked about, life life takes you. Sometimes it just changes like that, doesn't it? And um, absolutely, you know that that's. I think of all the lessons that that I've picked up from you in a very short period of time, um, the thing that had the most impact on me was listening to you tell me about how you dealt with what was going on in your family and. Um, how you know because for me I, I struggled because I've never I've never been to that place and um, you know it was obviously uh, you talked to me in depth about about your your son and um, 
you know, particularly one of your sons, anyway. Yeah. And uh, what what the challenges of of his challenges that you obviously as his as his dad had as well took on as well you know and you know I think if you if you feel like you could share that I think there's people out there who, who this is this isn't a common this isn't a problem that's common to, to, to just you is it this is a common problem in in society isn't it oh there's you know there's families undoubtedly many 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 families Maybe going through and listen to this you yeah do you know what yeah there's many families that are going through have gone through or are yet to go through what what happened to my son I mean he, uh, I was in India and by now my eldest son is he's a young adult he's you know early 20s he's working uh, I'm in India I've got the, the job in India and uh, went to India I mean <laughs> Went to India, the, the day I went to India, or flew out to India, I stopped in at my mom and dad's house. I saw my mom and I knew that would be the last time that I saw my mom alive. So that was a, that was a wow, that, wow. Was, that was tough. And uh, not long after I got to India, a couple of weeks, my mom died. So that, that was, that's a tough gig. Uh, literally came back for four days for the funeral and I had to go back to India so that that was a, a tough gig and I knew my son uh, was having a bit of a rough time I knew he was a little bit low um, obviously my mum dying he was really close to, to my mum uh, my ex-father in uh, sorry my ex-mother-in-law had died really close yeah to yeah to to a uh, uh, He'd lost his job that he had through no fault of his own, yeah. just, you know, circumstances. Uh, circumstances, no fault of his own. And also he'd lost uh, one of his best friends who had been killed outside a nightclub. So he'd had, yeah. you know, he'd had a tough time and, 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 and throw into the mix as well that uh, uh, he was a young dad you know, he like many many sons. He he was going out with a girl, and he he, he got pregnant. Uh, he was no longer with the girl, but he did have contact yeah. with her. So uh, he's but a good lad, a nice lad, a, a lad with a good heart, not a nasty lad, but certainly equally no angel. Yeah, you know, uh, liked to go out with his mates, like a lot of youngsters. Was a smoker which obviously I wasn't too too thrilled about. He, he'd have a drink and he had since admitted he'd dabbled in drugs. But, you know, like a lot of youngsters, it was not a problem. He'd go, he'd, you know, we used to go out and have a drink and if we were naughty, we'd have a fag. I yeah, think yeah. today's generation, yeah, now they might have a line of coke. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it, but, but, but no problems. But I knew, uh, I knew, he was a, a little bit down with everything that had yeah. had, had, had gone on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, sorry, I got it wrong. It was my father, my ex-father-in-law that had, that had died. So my ex-father-in-law yeah. and, and my mum, in a pretty short space of time, had died. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, obviously, while I was in India, I, I would talk to my lads, you know, daily, if not daily, certainly every other day. Uh, and then, uh, 
he just started telling me about these gambling wins that he'd had. So my alarm bells start ringing straight away because they're not, I've won a 10 or I've won 20 quid. It's, it's yeah. hundreds and sometimes, you know, a grand or whatever. So I'm telling him because uh, my ex-father-in-law left him some money. All the other grandchildren were below 18, so their money was being looked after. I think Dan was over 21. I think that was the age in the, in the so he he had access to the money that was that he'd been left, and he was telling me about all these uh, wins, and I was you know saying Dan, you know don't make sure you're not dipping into your granddad's money. No, I'm not. Don't worry. I assure you, everything is everything's okay. Everything's okay, but. You know, I'm concerned, and he keeps telling me about about the the win here and the win there, and and uh, then one day he he texts me something about oh his brother owes him ten pound, and I need the ten pound because I've got nothing else. So I know then that that was his way of telling me that basically he'd gamble thirty grand away. Uh, and my response I think is like pretty much I think any any dad's response and I literally tore into him on the phone tore into him on the phone and I kind of remember it because he, he took it he didn't come back with anything it was almost you're right yeah you're right I am useless you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm a waste of space. I'm, it was like, I, remember, I still remember it now. And, it's, and then I, I spoke to my uh, ex-wife. Obviously we, we, we talked about uh, the money that he'd lost. Uh, and he, and he, it wasn't long then that, that we knew not only did he have a gambling problem, but he also had a, a cocaine problem. Right. So, because he was feeling low, I think, he, he went chasing highs, and the way that he got his highs was cocaine and gambling. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know if people know about cocaine, but you take it, it gives you a massive high. But literally the day after, it gives you, you know, massive, massive yeah. lows. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think gambling pretty much was was the same. So again, it, it, it came out now that he's he's not only got the gambling problem, he's not only got the cocaine problem, he has got you know depression. Uh, and and depression, pretty, pretty bad. And you're in India this time. I'm in India. Yeah, as I say, I've, I've, I can't remember exactly how long I've been out there, but obviously I've I've seen my mum. <laughs> knowing it was the last time I'd seen my mum, a couple of weeks later she she died. I went back for the funeral. Come back out to India. There's a million and one things going on at work because it's a new, new club, job, everything. New club, yeah. yeah, new country, new job, things are being set up. Uh, I now know, obviously, about my son and his gambling problem, his coke problem, his depression. So I'm saying, well, I've got to come back. I've got to, 
you know you know I'm desperate to be a success in, yeah. in coaching but even me as desperate as I want to be I've, I've got to come back and to be fair my son was dad I don't want you to come back mm. you know there's, there's nothing you can do for me here you know I want you to stay in India yeah, yeah. you know I'll, I'll cope I'll, I'll I'll get help I'll sort it I'll, I'll sort myself out don't don't come back wow. um, three or four times I had my ex-wife on the phone and she's obviously in tears at, at how bad he is yeah. with the situation and and what's happening uh, and my wife clever so and so uh, in the medical profession so you know clued in clued in did a lot of research into everything depression gambling coke uh, habits you know drugs uh, looking for help uh, literally nothing no NHS help out there uh, and I keep saying look I've got to come I'll come back I'll come no no I want you to, to stay but I'm having some difficult phone calls with my ex-wife who's obviously is just like me massively concerned about her son and uh, the one day she calls me and uh, she's, she's now with a new partner she's mo moved out the marital home uh, my two lads are living in the marital home yeah. you know both grown up by now living in the marital home and she goes around the, the house one day and, and uh, is looking for drugs uh, I suppose like any, any parent would but uh, doesn't find drugs uh, finds a suicide note so that this suicide note is not left out for people to find it's folded away and in the drawer not at the top of the drawer it's mm. you know now it, it, he'd actually been to a doctor by now about his depression mm. and I, I started seeking help and this is I find this amazing he was prescribed drugs antidepressant drugs and one of the side effects of these antidepressant drugs is suicidal tendencies right which yeah you know I'm obviously not a medical person yeah. but I still to this day can't get my head around that so anyway we're, we're even to this day we're hopeful it was the drugs yeah. and the side effects of the drugs that made yeah. but nevertheless uh, you found this note yeah found this note uh, so Again, I'm going right. Oh, that's it. I'm coming. I'm coming back. Anyway, not long after, because the club folded, I can't. I did come back home. Anyway, and uh, so I returned from India. The club's finished after a few months, and they've decided not to carry on. And uh, so I think, well, I'll 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 move in like most parents would. Uh, I was living in Grimsby. I'd all, I'd been here, there, and everywhere with football. I'll move back to what was the marital home and I'll I'll spend as much time as I can with him and see if I can basically if I'm with him all the time he can't take drugs you know he's I'm not going to let him and if you like I put my job on hold for a bit I think I'll I'll focus focus on my lad which I do uh, and somehow, somehow, 
with his depression and his gambling and his addiction to coke, somehow he managed to hold his job down. He got by now. He's got another job, yeah. and, uh, which was a challenge because some mornings you're literally dragging him out of bed right. because he used to do that. Yeah, we found well, we found out since obviously he took coke, uh, and the day after he's on that massive donor. It, you know, he, he wants to sleep. Um, it, it was a tough gig getting him out of, but we got him out of bed, we get him to work. He has two or three great mates at work who knew the situation uh, and they were great with him. So he managed somehow to, to keep his job uh, and he got paid weekly. So I'm spending all my time with him. I've, yeah, I've yeah. now took over his bank account because his finance, we've found out he's, he's lost 30,000 inheritance off his yeah. granddad. He took another 10,000 bank loan out. He'd lost that. And when I got back, he, he had about a dozen payday loans. Uh, not massive, he, he paid a loan under 200 quid, but probably yeah. 1,500, two grand's worth. So, you know, because his finances now are literally shot, they're all over the place. He's got bank loans coming out by direct debit. He's got his payday loans coming out by direct debit. He doesn't know where they're coming from, when they're coming out. He's got his normal direct debits coming out as well. So he's falling behind. So we, uh, we pay his payday loans off. We get them out of the way, luckily. Yeah. We pay them off, so he's just now lost his thirty thousand pound, and he's got a ten thousand pound proper bank loan. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we kind of got now a little bit of control of his money and the direct debits and everything. But he got paid weekly. He got paid every Friday, but every Friday he'd have to own up to how much he owed the dealers. Wow. Uh, and it was literally, it could have been anything from 200 pound up maybe 600 pound a week. Wow. So it was every Friday, he'd have to own up. And when you think, I think at the time he used to pick up, I don't know, 400 quid, 350 quid. So literally I, dreaded Fridays as much as I, yeah. I dreaded anything in my life because you know you hoped upon hope I'm spending all my time with him that oh he's not took any drugs this you know he's not took any drugs this week he's not took and then he, I, I have 400 quid dad or I have 300 quid dad and he was kind of doing okay with his gambling but he couldn't get yeah, his coke sorted out coke he couldn't couldn't do it, you know. He, he was he still had this depression. I, it, the depression certainly was still there, but it, it was almost like the coke was consuming everything. It was, you know, it was it was his way of dealing with the situation. Uh, and how long was going on for? Oh, from when I come back to India, from India, to when he finally went in 
to a private uh, recovery program. Oh, it's it's over a year, uh, and it was horrendous. There's no other word. There's no other word for it. It was horrendous, and it's kind of it's the best way I could have put it. It's like watching your son drown, and you're well to to start with. You're standing on the shore, and you're watching your son drown. And the more that he fights the water, you see him just slowly, slowly, slowly being dragged under. And it's the, it's the horrendous feeling. And then it kind of gets like you jump in the water and kind of, you're swimming as fast as you can with all your might to get to him, to save him. And every time you look up, you're further away. Right. It's like you're swimming against the tide. Right and you're further, and he, yeah. he's splashing even more, and he's going under, and you're swimming with, yeah. and you, you, you can't get to him, yeah. you can't, you can't save him. And, I mean, since I mean, I found out that I did everything, really, that a parent shouldn't have done. Right. You, you meant not to bail them out financially. Right. You meant to leave them, basically, to crash. Hit rock bottom, and then hope that they have then got to fight back. Don't think there's people. In but I could, I could, I, I even though then I kind of knew it. I, I'd been told that because my wife had done all this mm. research. I was scared to let him hit rock bottom because I, I didn't think he would fight back. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think he would fight back. I thought he'd just yeah, he'd lose it. Yeah, go. So I was scared to let him get to that to that point. So Fridays, he'd have to come clean. We'd look at his money. We'd look at what direct debit was coming out. It might have been it might have been the bank loan, which was say under an eighty quid a month. So he's picking up three hundred and fifty quid, four hundred quid. Under an eighty bank under an eighty bank loan was coming out that that yeah. week. So there's 180 quid gone. He's got, say, 200 quid left. Well, he owed three, four, 500 quid to the dealers. And he had, he'd, so he'd give them that. I'd make the difference up. And then he still had to live. He still had to live for the rest of the week. He still had to put petrol in his car, get to work. Uh, yeah. Everything, he had, he had to live. And it was... As I say, it was it was horrendous. It was the worst. Well, I thought I was losing him, but it, I mean, I look back now. If eventually he, he, he goes into a program, but if he hadn't gone into the program, I'm not sure. Honestly, if I'd be in, well, now, yeah, I'd, because oh god, it made me so so ill. And at the time, again, I'm being even though. Even though I'm consumed by by this, and obviously his problems, his depression, and and gambling really wasn't now at the forefront. Yeah. It, 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 it was coke, yeah. really. Then I suppose the depression was second, and and, yeah. and gambling was was third. And because 
you, you, you're constantly on edge all the time. Again, like I've described it, if you've got a 14 or 15 year old kid and they've started going out at night or staying out a little bit late or whatever, and they say they'll be back at 10, and it gets to two or three o'clock in the morning and they're not back and you're literally on edge and you're worried sick about, mm. I was literally like that 24 yeah. seven. Yeah, wow. Uh, Charging, 12 months. Like, I'd get out of bed in the morning and I hadn't, hadn't slept. Not like one night or the odd night or that was pretty much mm. my night. I would just lie there, uh, get out of bed in the morning, if you like, exhausted. Yeah. Uh, lit, whatever. The majority of the time I was in Wolverhampton at the house, obviously then you try and get him up for work, uh, make sure that, you know, he's, he's in the best shape he can be to get out to work. He's somehow, somehow still holding his job down. He had a grandson. Uh, we were, well, we didn't leave him on his own with his grandson. Me and my ex-wife, we didn't leave him on his own with his grandson because we were scared if it was the day after he took coke, he could fall asleep at any stage. And so we wouldn't, we wouldn't leave him. I tried being nice to him. I tried putting my arm around him and loving him and, uh, you know, being as nice and as tried to be as understanding. I tried being a, a nasty so-and-so and yeah. saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let you see your grandson. I'm going to stop it because you can't see your grandson. Uh, which really, in hindsight, was the worst thing to do because it just made him feel even worse. Uh, so it was just an experience that I would not wish on my yeah, yeah. worst enemy. Luckily, uh, just over three years ago now, uh, start of December, or second week in December, he said we couldn't find anything on the NHS, any programs that could could help. He said, "Dad, I've got to go somewhere. I've got to." So he kind of got. To yeah, that. he got to the point because we said you've got to go, and he wasn't really up for it or yeah. anything like that. But he got to the point, and he said, "I know I've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go. Uh, I'm at the point now. I know I've got to go." Uh, uh, and, and my ex I think my ex-wife found a place in Birmingham it was well, I think it was about seven and a half grand seven grand for the month uh, best money ever ever spent best money ever spent uh, so just over three years now since he went in uh, and he hasn't gambled he hasn't took drugs uh, he stopped drinking as well because that's a trigger for the other two for the gambling and the drugs so he's uh, he stopped drinking uh, he still goes to uh, gamblers anonymous and uh, 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 drug awareness he still goes to meetings I know he's quite a prominent member of the meetings now. I think right. he, he, he talks. I think he's done one counselling course. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's doing well at work. Uh, he has 
£500 left on his £10,000 loan to pay off. Yeah. He's got, uh, yeah. yeah, he's got over six grand in the bank now. Brilliant. Uh, he's kind of a joint manager of a semi-pro football team, and they've just won six on the bounce. He's done brilliant. He's done brilliant. What a great and he's uh, what a great to end. Literally come back from from the edge. Yeah. So he's. Uh, it was tough. It was the uh, the toughest gig of my life yeah yeah. yeah and while while I had that going on if I'm being honest even though I was consumed by it consumed by it after a few months I was thinking I've got to work I need to work I mean I'm not a, a wealthy man luckily my my wife my, my second wife was working uh, and I'd yeah I'd, I'd got some money I'd done okay in India but I'm certainly not wealthy enough not to work but I wanted to work also. And by now I'm I'm looking around hopeful of, of, of work, trying to get work. Obviously I'm speaking to my son about it as well. Yeah. But I couldn't get a job. Right. So again, your self-worth, your self-respect, everything that I, I've, the spells that I've been out of work, I have found really, really tough, really tough from that self-respect and self-worth point of view and uh yeah. so i kind of at that time i had that as well as well as the yeah and you know so now my, my my psyche to well my outlook on life is well completely different it is now family Brilliant. above yeah above Brilliant. above everything you know and Maybe I was I would I would be all to try and say to them, you know, knuckle down. You've got to do this. You've got a plan for the future. You've got to do. You've got to do. You've got to do. No, my advice now to to my lads would be, if you want to do it, do it. Go enjoy yourself. Yeah. yeah. Live. Yeah. yeah. Live your life because you you uh, you honestly don't know. Yeah, no, you no. don't know. No. no. It's. Uh, what a fantastic story, Stuart. So he's, uh, yeah, he's he's, 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 he's come back from the edge. I mean, I think to, to, to quit one addiction is, I think, really, really tough. Yeah, to, to, to do two, I think, is, is brilliant. Uh, and I kind of tell him if he, if he can do that, he can literally do anything. So touch wood, but he's always an addict. And he knows that he's, he's an addict now for the rest of his life. That will be, you know. Sounds like he's really making not just come through that. He's actually making real positive, from what you're saying, positive changes, and they're influencing other people by the sound of it. With his, you know, what he's doing with his clubs and that. And, uh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He's uh, he's open about it. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't. You know. He'll he'll he'll, he'll talk about it. You know. He'll he'll open. You know. He says. I knew you'd bail me out, Dad. Mm. You said I knew you'd bail me out because. And is there something that that really horrible, difficult experience, you know, that takes people to the point of life drifting away has changed in terms of not you? You've already said that it's obviously given you this real different perspective, but how your relationship with him, I'm just imagining Stu. I mean, your family, your kids are your kids anyway. Yeah. You know, I've got kids myself, and you know, and, 
and I'm sure it kind of just makes that bond something a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I'm from a family that are not touchy feely and yeah, yeah. or kisses yeah, and cuddles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew how much my mum and dad loved me. Yeah. But I'd yeah. give my mum a kiss on the cheek. She's I don't it. think I ever hugged my dad. You know what I mean? It's all in, mate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, mm -hmm. I don't think, uh, and I've not, I'm not a hugger with my, my two lads either, you know? I'll give them a little, yeah, yeah. or a little yeah, shake yeah. hands yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. or a little yeah, yeah. high five yeah, yeah. or, but I'm not, I'm not yeah. a hugger. Uh, but I, I mean, obviously, I love them loads. I'd like to think that they know I love them loads. Surely do, yeah. But maybe this is a... You, you tell them more than you should. Or, you know, I should tell them more that I love them. Yeah, yeah. No, but but they've... Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I've changed, as I say. It used to be, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You've got to get a nine-to-five job. You've got to plan for the future. You've got to get some money in the bank. Yeah. No, no. Go and do what makes you happy. If you want to do it, go do it, go live. You know what, Stu? Um, I've spoke to many people about careers in football and coaching and playing and, and, and managing and stuff like that. And um, it's, it's a unique, everybody's got a unique story. This is a wonderful story, mate. And, and you know, what I want to say to you, I know we're coming to the end of it and I want to let you go and give me over an hour of your time, mate, is, is and I genuinely mean this, is that, that, to share this, the depth that you've shared this, mate, from, even if it's just from me, and there'll be yeah. many, many people who listen to this. I mean, you know, it, it's throughout the world, there's people who listen in all countries. Um, it, it, there's a lot of people who wouldn't have that, uh, what can I say, that, 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 they just wouldn't be able to share it for whatever reason, and I can't thank you enough, mate, for sharing it, because this will, this will help somebody, mate, I've got, got no doubt. So I want to thank you from me personally. Yeah. And, um, you know, I say I, I'm I'm really enjoying this experience and, and working with you, mate. And believe you me, you know I'm um, you know I, I'll be learning stuff from from you, mate. I've got got no doubt about that. So um, thanks very much, Paul, for sharing your time. Yeah, um, it's a play. One last thing I'd like to say: if I hope it helps people, obviously. If anyone is going through it, or my advice would be is if I'm being honest. You can't save them. Yeah. Get them to the experts. Yeah, yeah. Get them to the experts as quickly as you can. Because you'll think, oh, I'll pay this this week. I'll pay this off. Oh, you'll be okay. I'll sort him up. I can, I can make... You can't. Yeah. Get them. If you've got access to the experts, uh, get them to the experts. Yeah. It's criminal that you can't do it on the NHS because it is a disease. Don't care what they say. Maybe I would have thought different until I had first-hand experience of it. But undoubtedly, it's a disease. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if, it, if it's happening to anyone that you know, anyone in your family, a loved one, get them to the experts as quickly as you can. Great stuff. Well, uh, hey mate, thanks, thanks ever so much for that, pal. And, no uh, problems. You know, um, it's a great share and um, you know, maybe we can catch up again and then uh, Well, all I can say is let's go and eat some tea, let's go Rob. Eat some tea. All right, Sue, thanks very much. No Pat. problems, mate. Appreciate it. So uh, folks, I'm gonna leave you with that. And um, you know, as I say, it's uh, something that you can all, you can share. And if you know anybody who's struggling with anything like that Stu's, uh, Stu shared, please share this, um, this podcast. And um, you know, as I say, always to you uh, listeners, um, we always appreciate your time. So uh, all right, so hope that helps and um, look forward to catching up. Catch you later. Bye-bye.